0: Your host,
1: Kevin Conover. Bring
0: your time and bring your
1: shame. Welcome to Educate for Life Radio and Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. If you're concerned about your children having a strong faith or you yourself having a strong faith, you can visit my website, educateforlife.org. And uh, there's all kinds of resources on there that are meant to equip you to help you be able to defend your faith, be able to be confident so that you're not worried about, oh, if they ask me a question I'm not going to be prepared for, to give you some confidence so that you're able to speak out and be that witness that Christ is calling you to be, especially around this time of year. Uh, you know, we've had Thanksgiving. We're going into Christmas. And uh, a lot of times these conversations come up, spiritual conversations come up, talking about Christmas, talking about, um, you know, what is the meaning of Christmas? And, you know, the 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 conversations inevitably will turn to, well, is there really anything to this Christianity? Is there really anything to the resurrection of Christ? And I've got a fantastic guest on my pra- program today who's an expert in this particular area and himself comes from an atheist background, somebody who wasn't a believer, but ultimately felt that the evidence um, was enough to warrant belief in the truth of the Bible and the truth of Jesus Christ, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. My guest today is Jay Warner Wallace. Before I uh, invite him on here, let me tell you a little bit about him. He, he is a cold case homicide detective. And a very popular national speaker, best-selling author, he actually still continues to consult on cold case investigations while serving also as a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. He's an adjunct professor of apologetics at Biola University and a faculty member at, member at Summit Ministry. He's written some books, and uh, one that he's probably most famous for is Cold Case Christianity, Um, where he gives 10 principles of being a cold case detective and how to solve, uh, you know, homicides in which you may not have any living witnesses uh, around anymore or eyewitnesses. He also has written a book, God's Crime Scene, and another one, Forensic uh, Forensic Faith, not Face. And his cases have been featured more than any other detective on NBC's Dateline. His work has been on Court TV, Fox News, and he's been awarded the Police and Fire Medal of Valor, Sustained Superiority, for continuing work on cold case homicides, including um, a, a, a murder that he solved all the way back from 1979. Um, Jay Warner, thank you for being on the program today.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. It's a real privilege to have you. And I think um, you offer a perspective that's very unusual and not one that um, you know most people have the experience to be able to talk about. But uh, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about um, what you do as a job and why it's so relevant to the issue of Christianity and Jesus' uh, death and resurrection.
2: Well, it's, it's interesting. I think all of us um, kind of have a way to contribute to this conversation if we're, if we're people who, who believe uh, as, as Christians and we have a desire to kind of get in the game and actually make a case for what we believe. But for me, it was really the way I became a Christian because I didn't have a skill set Um, that would help me, aside from the skills that I used in my professional life. I mean, I thought every Christian, when they examined the claims of Christianity, kind of did it the same way. I didn't realize that that was not the common way in. I, I, I knew how to evaluate eyewitnesses, and I also had a number of cases that I was investigating where I had no access to my eyewitnesses anymore, and the supplemental reports that I had from detectives back in the 70s, a lot of times those detectives were no longer with us. So, I had to figure out, like, what really happened 35 years ago, 40 years ago, when I have no access to either the eyewitness or the report writer for the eyewitness. And that's really um, what's got me started. That skill set I found to be very helpful as I kind of examined the case for myself, looking at all the uh, manuscript evidence for the New Testament.
1: Yeah, you know, I think um, one of the big things that I hear from skeptics, because I've had a lot of skeptics on the radio program, is, you know, this happened a long time ago. How can you really be sure of anything that's actually recorded um, based on the fact that uh, stuff changes over time? Uh, you have uh, literally 2,000 years ago is when this, this happened. 2,000 years ago is when people wrote this stuff down. Uh, how can that be reliable uh, considering the amount of time that's passed and the fact that, uh, you know, nobody's alive who was there to be able to see this or talk about it?
2: Well, I think you're you're right. That's a very valid objection. I think that's something that one of the first things I had to. And it's one of the things we study when we evaluate eyewitnesses in these criminal trials. Has have they changed their story over time? I mean, they might have seen something thirty five years ago, but now as they sit in front of my jury, uh, is there is there some distortion of that initial observation, or have they maybe even said something back then that they now no longer claim is true? Does the story change over time? And that's really the claim I think that most people make. Uh, this is not an unusual claim. I mean, books have been written about this by skeptics, that the story of Jesus changes from a very simple character in history who did nothing more than preach a few memorable uh, sermons, uh, and then finally these these events that are kind of tagged onto the story of Jesus over the years, the distortions in which now he suddenly is a miracle-working born of a virgin rising from the dead Messiah, that this is somehow late additions to the story of Jesus? Is there an ancient, more uh, primitive, uh, a simpler version of Jesus out there? And that was one of the first things that I knew. I, I, I really believe that was probably the case of all the ways of looking at the story of Jesus. I think I probably, this is the one that I found most compelling as an atheist. Uh, but the, the problem, of course, is is that we have a chain of custody, and that's something that we do in criminal trials all the time, where we evaluate evidence to see if it has been tampered with over time, and we simply ask questions about who touched the evidence, what did they do with it, how did they document it, and who did they next give it to, and then did he or she document it as well, write paper on it, take photographs of it, give it to somebody else. We can see the chain of custody over the years on any particular piece of evidence. And so one of the first things I did as a skeptic was to look at the chain of custody for the New Testament. So it's not as though we don't know who the initial eyewitnesses gave this information to. We know that Mark sat at the feet of Peter. We know that Ignatius and Polycarp and Papias sat at the feet of John. We could actually look at those ancient writers and see if they describe a simpler version of Jesus. And even though I may not be able to reconstruct the verses of the the New Testament from the writings of the most ancient believers who sat at the feet of the eyewitnesses, I can look at what they said about his divine nature, about the miracles he worked. They reference these things. It's not as though that the earliest descriptions offered by those who sat at the feet of the eyewitnesses are somehow simpler, you know, like that Jesus was just a guy. Yeah. That's not what they said. At the very beginning, they repeated the claims of the Gospel authors as we see them today. So the idea that somehow the story of Jesus was magnified and distorted until finally the Jesus of history became the Christ of Christianity is simply not true, if you're willing to look at the chain of custody of that information. And that's one of the first things I had to do. I, I try to describe that, you know, we, we try to describe that both on our website and in books, but the idea here is that I want people to have confidence that, that the story of Jesus is incredibly early in history, written at a time when people would have known if it was a lie. Mm. and that the story was just as um, uh, miraculous, just as amazing. The high Christology of Jesus yeah. was early, uh, and it's, it's very hard to, to deny. Now, you can still reject Jesus, but to reject him on the basis that you think the story was changed over time, that would be unreasonable.
1: Okay, so the story is very consistent. Now, I had I had somebody say to me, um, you know, the reason I don't believe the Bible and the reason I don't believe in Jesus is specifically because of what was recorded, they actually said to me, this was an atheist I, I know personally, who said, um, the miracles themselves tell me that the story is mythical. So for example, the idea that he walked on water, the idea that he healed blind people, and ultimately the idea that he raised others from the dead and he himself raised from the dead tells me specifically that this is a, this is a myth genre. Um, it's a mythical tale, and therefore there's no reason for me to believe it. Um, how, how would you respond to somebody who said something like that?
2: Well, a couple of things. It's not as though everything that Jesus does is of some miraculous nature. Well, that's not the case at all. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see there are lots of very ordinary things that Jesus does that the authors could have inserted miraculous elements into every single twist and turn in the Jesus story. But they don't do that. I mean, there's lots of stuff that Jesus does that is he doesn't just, you know, teleport all of his believers from one city to another. He doesn't, you know, solve, you know, he, he basically there are times when you definitely see Jesus act in a way that has to be described as supernatural. It just has to be, because it is supernatural. So then it comes down to the question, well, okay, so does that disqualify it then? In other words, if, if I can't explain the, the acts that are recorded on the pages of this book with, with, with entirely naturalistic explanations involving nothing more than space, time, matter, physics, and chemistry. In other words, if I can't do that, if I can't explain it with just those elements, Does that mean I have to reject it? If so, you're going to have to reject your physics books also and your your cosmology books also because the standard cosmological model that all physicists, uh, well, not all, but the majority of physicists embrace, that's why they call it the standard model, is that everything in the universe, all space, time, and matter, came into existence from nothing. That, That there was no space, time, or matter until the universe began to exist. That's what their evidence is telling them. So they already uh, accept that there is a cause outside of space, time, and matter that has to be the cause of the universe. It cannot be spatial, temporal, and material, because those things don't exist until the universe exists. In other words, if you're saying, I can't believe the words of a book, if the explanations being offered are outside of space, time, and matter, well, then you're going to have to also reject contemporary astrophysics because that's also the claim of astrophysics.
1: Oh, that's a, great, that's a great answer. Um, you know, I, it, it, well, look it, at it this way. If
2: there is a personal being outside of space, time, and matter that causes all space, time, and matter, it seems to me that being would probably have the power to manipulate whatever it is he creates. He could walk on water. Those are small potato miracles mm. compared to the miracle described in Genesis 1. And even as an atheist, I was somebody who said, well, yeah, I think there is at least one Act, one action, one event in the course of universal history, cosmic history, that involves a cause outside of space, time, and matter. Well, then the question is, why are you limiting yourself then to this one uh, small slice of, of, of history? Why why could it not be that that personal deity could enter into his creation and do whatever he wants?
1: That's a great answer. I actually had uh, Michael Shermer, president of the Skeptic Society. Have you heard of Michael Shermer?
2: Sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He he was on my radio program and he actually made, it was very interesting. We had this exact discussion and he, he's, he basically was uh, like, yeah, the, the, everything from nothing is fine. But uh, the miracles of Jesus, he said, nah, uh, that doesn't pass the muster of, uh, of, you know, of the skepticism. And, um, but that's a fantastic point that if, if you're going to disallow one, um, you've got to disallow the other. If you're going to allow one, you've got to allow the other. That's a, a fantastic. At least point.
2: at least allowed to be reasonable. That doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean that the Christianity is true or that theism is true, but it does mean you would want to be fair about this, right? To say, well, I'm going to at least be open to the reasonable inference that there's something outside of space, time, and matter that is at work in the universe, and if it is, boy, that opens the door to a lot of other, you know, at least to, I think it would um, have to allay your concerns that, hey, on the basis of just the, the non-naturalist or the supernatural aspect of the Gospels, I have to discredit them.
1: Yeah, and that's completely logical and completely intellectual, so nobody can say, oh, uh, this is not an intellectual or logical conclusion. I mean, this is e- e- eminently logical. So we're coming up on a break here. My guest today is Jay Warner Wallace, coldcasechristianity.com. Um, check it out. He has an incredible website full of tons of resources and articles that you would find very encouraging and um, really will allow you to ask a lot of questions and get a lot of answers. And uh, we're going to be right back. What I'm going to ask him next when we come back from the break is, um, what was the critical piece of evidence that ultimately caused you to decide it is more logical to believe that Christianity is true than not? And so when we come back, um, he'll tell us more about his personal um, travels from atheism to belief in God and to belief in Christianity. Stay with us. We're going to be right back.
0: If you need to buy an affordable, reliable used car, truck, or even an enclosed trailer, call Conover Tires Wheels and Service in Oceanside. For tires and car repairs you can trust, call Dan Conover and his team at 760-439-1631. Honesty, integrity, and quality service. They're ASE, BBB, and NAPA certified. And they're proud supporters of Educate for Life. Learn more at ConoverTires.com. Check out their great reviews, 760-439-1631. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0766.
1: Welcome to Educate for Life. Um, we're here in San Diego, and we are broadcasting on K Praise one hundred six point one and AM twelve ten. And uh, we're also all over YouTube. We're on uh, Periscope. We're on Facebook, and so you can check us out anywhere you like. We have a call in number. If you have a question for a cold case uh, homicide detective, I had a uh, somebody Joey Marone has actually put on Facebook that he wants to be a homicide detective. So. Uh, Joey, if you want to call in and ask a question, 866-577-2473, 866-577-2473. My guest today is Jay Warner Wallace. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about uh, basically if you look at this from a cold case perspective, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection happened a long time ago. And just like a cold case detective has to make his conclusions without you know potentially witnesses living witnesses and and so forth um we're dealing with the same sort of a situation when we look at the death and resurrection of jesus christ and that's a big deal we want to come to good conclusions and so um when i left off last segment um jim i said well uh what what was the big piece of evidence that ultimately you were you were an atheist for 35 years is that right that's right and so did you grow up what kind of a family did you grow up in
2: well, I was um, my parents divorced very early, and so my mom was raised kind of as a cultural Catholic, but um, that was never part of our kind of our backstory growing up. And, and in the Los Angeles County is so large, and it's such a dense population, and it's not really like the South, you know, where you necessarily are going to uh, be surrounded by a, a, a culturally Christian uh, environment. Yeah. Uh, so I had no problem growing up and not really hanging out with anybody who claimed to be a Christian. I didn't really know any Christians. Never went to church as a kid. Um just not my part of my my ethos and was not part of my dad's either. My dad's a very committed atheist, so uh just wasn't uh, didn't feel like I was losing anything or missing anything. It just was not part of my uh, childhood experience and so and I thought it was unreasonable, and the only Christians I would meet were people who didn't seem to be able to defend what they believed anyway. I mean, the people I' met who were Christians were not good at defending the case for Christianity, or they were the people who were taken to jail who weren't good at living out whatever it was they said they believed as Christians. And either, either way, it didn't matter to me. I was just not interested in a worldview that was not supported. I didn't think it was supported evidentially. You know, you asked that question about, you know, what is the one piece? And that, I think that frustrates a lot of people when they talk to me, because I, I, I am, I'm, I'm a death-by-a-thousand-paper-cut kind of guy. <laughs> um, I make cases cumulatively. All of my cases in front of a jury trial have all been cumulative based on indirect evidence. Um, I think that's very powerful. I, I actually trust cumulative cases more because they're not built on any one particular thing that you might be wrong about, uh, but are instead built on the, the you know the, the thousand bricks that build the house. And and that honestly is how I became uh, a Christian. It was not I got to a point where I was you know getting I just didn't think it was reasonable anymore to resist the the evidence for the at least the existence. Uh, I, I I'll tell you that I had confidence in the gospels long before I understood what the gospel message was. Hmm, interesting. And I didn't understand why God would have to come and die on a cross. And I talked to my wife about that. That just didn't seem really reasonable to me, even though I was at a place where I would have said to her, and I did. I that I think that we can trust what the gospels are saying about Jesus of Nazareth. Well okay. then the question becomes I, I didn't understand in other words I had read the, through the New Testament looking at the facts, collecting the data on what it said about Jesus of Nazareth, while really not paying attention to what it said about J. Warren Wallace.
1: Mm.
2: And so, I think you turn that corner once you start reading. You know, I, I had no real understanding of my own need for a Savior. Mm. I was really just interested in Jesus of Nazareth because the first pastor I ever heard talk about him described him as somebody really interesting, really smart, the smartest man who ever lived kind of stuff. And that's the stuff that really got me intrigued.
1: So I'm, I'm curious, um, when was the moment where you actually began to engage with Christianity, where it, it was, how old were you? And, and what was that moment where you decided, you know what, I, I'm going to explore this more?
2: Um, I was about 30, uh, 35, and I was uh, on the job, coming up on 10 years, and I was um, really enjoying my work. My, my wife, We had kids. We had young boys at the time. Like, was, like your wife, age.
1: was your wife a believer at the time?
2: But, no, but she was raised in a much more culturally um, consistent, uh, like a Catholic kind of environment. Um, and so she was somebody who enjoyed going to Mass as a kid. Now, we were together at the time about 18 years, and, and church mass was never something we would do outside of, say, Christmas. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's just the kind of thing, that, like a cultural thing you do, right, because that's what you do. Uh, and I did, didn't, and my dad's the same way. He is more than happy to go to church with you, even though he doesn't believe it's true. He, he thinks it serves a, a function, an important function in culture. He would rather be part of a, a Christian culture than any other kind of culture, even though he thinks it's false.
1: Now, what do you now? Is your father still an atheist? Um, well, I'm, I'm
2: hoping we're making inroads, and yeah. lots of people have been praying for my dad for a lot of years. Because I talk about my dad publicly all the time. Yeah, uh, he's like my best friend, and I don't want um, to be in heaven without him. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I recognize that this is a process, and that, that you know God is working on him, and, and I hope that we are making progress with him.
1: Yeah, um, yeah but, I mean, a lot of people I, I, a lot of people are in that situation where they have relatives they love deeply and uh, so forth. And um, here, you you know, I I have relatives of my own too in the same situation. And so um, as an apologist, as somebody who's, you know, traveling and speaking about this and writing books about it, um, you know, where is your father at? And how do you encourage people who are dealing with this where they have relatives who they want to, I mean, is your father willing to listen to the evidence or is he more closed, closed off? And what do you do in these kinds of situations as somebody who wants to see somebody come to the Lord?
2: yeah well, I will tell you what um i I definitely um well I have a strategy, and I've written about it in a book called Forensic Faith, where I talk about you know how do you share what you believe, and a lot of it comes down to jury selection uh, but we unfortunately win or lose cases uh, primarily based on our jury selection more than anything else as as that may sound. That is just the truth of it. You you put, don't pick the right jury, You nothing happens that's good. I mean, you, you could make a great case and still not have any progress because you didn't pick a jury well. And the jurors are on a spectrum. And I call this spectrum in the book, I, I talk about how it's like a one to four spectrum. There are people who are pro-prosecution, that I call ones. People who are pro-defense, I call fours. And then there are people in the middle who might be on one side or the other, but they are reasonable and will listen to evidence. When you select a jury, we're trying to deselect. one ones and fours, because nobody wants a one if you're a defense attorney, and nobody wants a four if you're a prosecutor. (laughs) So the same thing is true when we're talking to people in the world around us, that they're on a spectrum of belief, and that that the more hardcore anti-theists are in that four position. And I'll be honest with you, I don't spend a lot of time interacting with fours, because they're not paying attention to anything I'm saying. Uh, Threes are. They are not believers, but they are at least open-minded. They are willing to hear you out. Mm. You can spend time with fours, but if you've got threes in your life that you're neglecting to spend time with fours, you need to rethink this. And so my dad has been in that four position. I was in that four position for a lot of years. The strategy for fours is very different. For fours, what you have to do is you have to pray and model Christ for fours, because Mm. it turns out that our fine arguments don't move people from three to four. What moves people from three to, I mean, from four to three. What moves people from four to three is the divine act of God, that He moves people from four to three. And then suddenly that's what he did with me. I was a four for many years, and then suddenly, I was actually willing to buy a Bible to see what it said about Jesus of Nazareth.
1: And was that anything in particular that, that caused that change that you can recognize in your life, or was it just kind of out of the blue? Oh, no, it
2: was because I went to church with my wife, who had been talking about going to church for years and years because she wanted the kids. She thought, well, should we raise the kids in church? And like my dad, I was like, sure, if you want to, <laughs> I'll go. I mean, I don't think it's necessary, but if, if you're that's what you want to do, I'll, I'll go. And and so I was willing to, to go with her to church, and um, the pastor that day mentioned, said that Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. And that was enough to provoke me to to buy a Bible. And I didn't think it was true. But and I didn't own a Bible though, so I couldn't really. And I'm not like Lee Strobel. Lee's a good friend of mine, and he wrote the Case for Christ. And yeah. When Leslie became a Christian before him, it provoked him to try to debunk it, you know, in some way. Yeah. And that and that was not me. I I thought no one debunks the story of the Easter Bunny. You know, <laughs> it's, like, it's not even worth my time. Oh, that's but funny. I, I was I thought if there is this mythological or this this fantastical uh, legend known as Jesus of Nazareth, but he happened to say some smart things. I'll I'll buy a Bible and see what the smart things are that he said. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't have to be a real person. He might just uh, have been written by somebody who knew some divine wisdom. That i could learn from yeah so i was willing to buy a bible just to learn the divine kind of time vetted wisdom of this alleged ancient sage but as i read through the gospels i realized that wow these if you know anything about eyewitness accounts if you've ever worked with eyewitnesses you know they never agree and their stories differ in a way that is um you start to recognize those differences as you listen to eyewitnesses over the years i think i've probably spent as much time as anybody Listening to eyewitnesses and looking at their accounts and measuring them against each other. So when I got to the Gospels, that is exactly what provoked me to uh, to examine them more richly and more deeply. Is that I said, "Wow, these truly have the uh, a measure of uh, they, they feel like eyewitness accounts."
1: Yeah, they and feel I just authentic. Wanted to
2: test them because yeah. because I felt like, hey, this is this is worth testing because they really. I have All these earmarks that I see in, in in the eyewitness stuff that I'm looking at all the time. So why wouldn't I test these? So that's, that's really what started it, is I just started to test them on the basis of what um, seemed like really um, powerful, um, you know, pow- really powerful evidence. Uh, and I, there's a way to test these. I talk about that that process that we actually uh, want our jurors to to test eyewitnesses before they render a verdict. So I, I just used that same process.
1: Well, that's really cool. And 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 just to summarize that, because that's another big skeptical argument is, um, hey, look at all the discrepancies between the gospel accounts, but you're actually saying um, that that's a benefit. And my guest today is Jay Warner Wallace, coldcasechristianity.com. If you want to check out his resources, he's got all kinds of amazing um, resources on his website, articles answering all kinds of different questions. And he's written Cold Case Christianity, God's Crime Scene, and Forensic Faith, all fantastic books. He's also written a recent book, uh, a new book that I've actually read um, with Sean McDowell, So the Next Generation Will Know. And um, we'll talk more about this book, too, because what we're dealing with is a generation of students that are growing up as skeptics. They're in a culture that's more skeptical than ever before. And so the question becomes, what is the best way to reach that next generation? Generation Z, they're calling it. Um, and so when we come back, we'll continue this discussion with Jay Warner Wallace of Cold Case Christianity. Stay with us. We'll be
0: save money by taking good care of your car call conover tires wheels and service in oceanside locally owned and operated since 1991 with all the brands you trust see their great customer reviews and special offers at conovertires.com. dan and his team are proud to support educate for life with kevin conover they even sell affordable reliable used cars and enclosed trailers conover tires 2405 oceanside boulevard 760-439-1631 Educate for Life helps you build your life on the rock. LG Equipment helps builders build on good soil. Luke Gibson's team at LG Equipment is your local source for grading, demolition, hauling, and more. Learn about their bulk water services, from trucks to tankers to towers, at rentwatertower.com. Get your questions answered. Call LG Equipment at 619 988 0924. Learn more at LGEquipment.com. 619 988 0924.
3: Life insurance is like a parachute. If you don't have it when you need it, it's too late. When your family faces a challenge, you don't want to face liability because you're uninsured or underinsured. Decades of San Diegans have trusted Jim Kelly of Kelly Insurance Agency and Allstate to insure homes, cars, businesses, and lives, no matter where they live throughout California. Your family's needs are always changing. Call to schedule a checkup today. Call Jim Kelly and his team right now. 619-562-9199.
1: Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. And I've got good news and bad news um, regarding my website, educateforlife.org. The bad news is that our monthly subscription price, because we charge a monthly subscription for a full curriculum, it's a two-year curriculum that's fantastic for high school students and uh, middle school students and adults. If if you want to really uh, firm up your faith in the Bible and answer a lot of the questions that people have, Um, we're raising our subscription fee on January 1st to $9.99 a month. It's still a good deal, but um, currently we're charging $4.99. So if you want to lock in that super low uh, rate there, right? I I sound like a salesman here, but but if you want to lock in that super low rate, $4.99 a month, um, sign up before January 1st, and um, that's grandfathered in. You have that for as long as you want to. So um, I hope you check it out, educateforlife.org. That's my website. All kinds of incredible classes on there that will help you uh, be able to answer the questions that people ask about God and the Bible and creation and evolution and how do we know the Bible is actually God's Word. And that's what we're talking about today with my guest, Jay Warner Wallace of coldcasechristianity.com. And um, he is a uh, cold case homicide detective. He has a perspective that very few people have and a pretty amazing testimony. And I was just asking uh, Jim off off the air here, um, Jim... So my question was, did you go from, um, you know, atheism to theism and then to Christianity? Um, because, you know, I think to myself when I when I'm talking to different people about uh, God or I'm talking to skeptics, um, a lot of times it's hard for me to believe that somebody could think that there's not some sort of God out there. And, um, you know, people differentiate between, you know, an atheist that's absolutely like, you know, we, there is no God Nothing at all. It just all happened by chance. Versus somebody who thinks there's some force out there. Where were you on that scale as an atheist?
2: Um, well, I, I, I would have, I would have, I probably would have argued that it's an impersonal force. That that, that whatever causes the universe to come into existence is just an impersonal force. That the problem, of course, is I hadn't really examined this deeply. To see if everything inside the natural, the room of the universe, this is how I talk about it in God's crime scene, can everything in the room be explained by a cause that's also in the room? Mm. If you find a dead person in the room, but you can explain all the evidence by staying inside the room with the dead person, it's more than likely a suicide or a natural or an accidental then it is going to be a murder. And when you've got evidence though of an intruder, and the best way to explain the, the weapon at the scene or whatever the fingerprints or whatever they are is a cause outside the room, well, now you're going to have to at least consider the possibility of a murder. And, and I think that, that, for me, that was the approach I had to take. I had to, I, and why I took that approach is because I got... Look, if the resurrection occurred, you're done. You don't need to go any further. If, the re, if, if Jesus rose from the grave, He's something other than a guy. And that, is, that demonstrates, and by the way, everyone in the first century knew that, that the resurrection demonstrated the divinity of Christ. So if you can get to that point. But, but here's my problem. As a reader of Scripture, I rejected the miraculous elements. I would have said whatever's in there related to the historicity of Jesus, that's fine. But when it gets to the miraculous elements, that's where I'm out. That's where I know those things didn't happen, because I was biased against anything super, any extra-natural. So so that was my, my sticking point. And so I knew at some point I just needed to be able to, to, to justify my own mind that I was right to reject supernatural elements.
1: Oh, uh, this is this is really interesting because I've had this discussion many times where somebody will say to me, because I often uh, will talk to people about the the archaeological evidence for the historical record of the Bible, and I'll have sure. a lot of skeptics say, Hey, just because some of there's evidence showing that some of this actually happened um, it doesn't mean that all the miraculous elements happened. So you were kind of in that same that's kind right. of situation as a skeptic.
2: Yeah, no, I, I was definitely, I, I could accept just so much. Uh, and that's why I thought, well, I'm, I'm properly justified, right, in rejecting extra natural elements. And that's where I, I had to ask myself the question, well, wait a minute, I, I do already, though, embrace some limited um extra-natural causes because, I, like I said before, I believe that the universe came into existence from nothing. So then the question becomes, do I, do I have good reason to believe that that extra-natural first cause is eternal? Do I have good reason to believe that that extra-natural first cause is impersonal? Uh, I think that there are several features of the universe that are better explained by an extra-natural first cause outside of space-time and matter that is personal that is a mind that is creating uh, in its own image, that is using the information in its mind to inform the, the human genome, for example, the DNA. I mean, there's, there's lots of good reasons to believe that that first cause. So, so I had now, to go back to that now, process before Jim, I could become a Christian.
1: So Jim, um, when you say, and that it's personal, w- what do you mean by that and why is that important?
2: Well, what I mean by personal is that it it um, it is, is, a, is a, uh, a mind that acts freely, that is not limited to causation. There's two kinds of causation right? There's event causation and there's agent causation. Event causation is just like dominoes that fall because a domino hits them, they fall. And if that's case, that that, that those are impersonal forces. There is no mind who is making a personal choice to act. It just acts because it's been acted upon if there are no agents acting to create the universe, then all we have is the inevitable appearance of the universe based on other causes that are entirely explained by physics and chemistry, acting on space, time, and matter, that make it inevitable that we have a universe such as our own. But here's the problem we have. Inside this universe, we happen to have uh, organic life that is not really the result of physics. I mean, it'd be great if that's all it was from a naturalistic perspective. The problem we have is that everything in terms of organisms and and biological organisms is, is based instead on information, information in the DNA. And you cannot get information from physics and chemistry acting on space, time, and matter. Information comes from mind, because the mind makes personal choices about how and what it wants to communicate. So you have to have both the complexity... That can be generated by physics, but the specificity that comes from mind. So for y- there's the problem. You so- have both complexity and specificity in the genome and DNA.
1: Okay, so for you then, the, then um, and this is documented in in one of your books. Is that right? Yeah, it's in God's Crime Scene. Yep. Okay, so so then for you, was this the argument that caused you to believe um, this is more than just you know uh, the cause and effect? impersonal force out there, whatever that might be, um, and caused you to draw the conclusion that it was more, it made more sense to believe that there was some sort of, uh, volitional being, uh, personal being that was making these choices. Yeah,
2: no, I, I, I think you're, what, it, what it did for me is it simply allowed me to not hold a prejudicial view against the miracle accounts. Hmm. So that's that's the value that that had for me. I I just needed Because look if you if you hold if you just say okay I'm going to believe the Gospels, but I'm going to take out all of the miracles you end up with one view of Jesus. But if your uh, investigation gives you good reason to leave them in, oh that's different. Now, now you get a different view. You get a different uh, idea of who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing for you and does for us in terms of his ability to save us. Yes, and so I... so my point is um, I just needed to know, did I have a good reason to ignore the, to, to basically take a view of Jesus that's kind of like the Jesus, you know, um, um, uh, the that, kind of current, not current, but in the last century scholarship that tries to redact out anything supernatural about Jesus, to get back to the historical Jesus, which is somehow much less, uh, I think, significant than the, the Christ of Christianity. I was inclined to do that. Uh, as an atheist, and many, so ma- I, it
1: seems like many people today—that's the position they're in.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. No, I think you're absolutely. I think that's by the way t- t- to hold that view of Jesus still allows you control, and that's what this all comes down to: is that each of us is happiest when and think about it, this is true at your job. And I was just talking to my wife about this is yesterday. The idea is we are typically—it's um, um, easy to love things you can control. Mm. And those aspects of your job, I suspect right now that you say, oh, I love this aspect of my job, is probably an aspect of your job that you have more control over. Yeah. <laughs> that you love your hobbies even more because you have complete control of what you do with your, your own discretionary time.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, so it turns out that it's hard to love something. This is why I think you really learn how to love in the context of your marriage, right? Because that's a person you cannot control. Mm. To love that person you have no control over yeah is an entirely different exercise and that's why I think it's so difficult for us to um, embrace the notion of God if we uh want to retain control and so I want control over what is appropriate behavior what's inappropriate behavior mm-hmm. I want control over the choices I make today that I have to look to nobody else for approval on I can approve these these choices and i'm I'm in control of those absolutely,
1: choices. absolutely yeah well I have another so that's big uh word i think that, yeah, that's an excellent point. I have another big question for you that uh, we'll answer right after this break in our last segment here. And that is that I recently heard a speaker say, he said, um, the difficulty that we're dealing with here in education, me being in education, I'm a teacher, um, or if somebody's a youth pastor, whatever it might be, is um, our, our fear is not kids becoming adamant atheists. Our concern is students becoming apathetic Christians. And um, I think this is a real issue today is that what's happening is um, it's not that kids are embracing, um, you know, radical atheism or, or uh, you know, this sort of attitude. But it's more that they're becoming apathetic and they might even say they believe in God, they believe in Jesus Christ, but they're just uh, checked out and they don't see yeah. how it's relevant to their lives so my guest today is Jay Warner Wallace and he is an expert on the evidence for the truth of Christianity he's also recently written a book with Sean McDowell called the so, so the next generation will know preparing young Christians for a challenging world and uh, I I can't think of a, a, a better need in a book uh, to be addressed currently uh, as as it pertains to this issue so stay with us we have one more segment with Jay Warner Wallace of coldcase we'll be right back
0: Luke Gibson of LG Equipment supports Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Luke grew up in the construction industry and now serves LG's commercial and residential customers throughout Southern California. Whether you need grading, paving, hauling, demolition, on-site bulk water service, water trucks, tankers, and towers, call LG Equipment at 619-998-0924. Learn more at LGEquipment.com. 619-998-0924.
3: Life insurance is like a parachute. If you don't have it when you need it, it's too late. When your family faces a challenge, you don't want to face liability because you're uninsured or underinsured. Decades of San Diegans have trusted Jim Kelly of Kelly Insurance Agency and Allstate to insure homes, cars, businesses, and lives, no matter where they live throughout California. Your family's needs are always changing. Call to schedule a checkup today. Call Jim Kelly and his team right now. 619-562-9199
1: thanks for being with us today this is educate for life I'm your host Kevin Conover and we're down here in Southern California in San Diego FM 106.1 North County K praise AM 1210 San Diego. Uh, so we're on the radio down here. If anybody uh, out there listening to radio, we also are on YouTube. If you all kinds of shows on YouTube uh, have over a hundred shows now uh, with all kinds of experts from all over the world testifying to the truth of the the Bible and to how Jesus Christ has personally impacted their lives. Um, have on there a, a show with Dr. James Tour, one of the top 50 scientists in the world, uh, who's an organic synthetic chemist uh, who talks about whether evolution is is viable or not we also have a uh, on there shows with uh former homosexuals uh like Patty Height who talk about uh how we're not defined by our sexuality but we're defined by uh God's definition of us as as children made in the image of God and all kinds of other resources out there that are available uh, my guest today is Jay Warner Wallace coldcasechristianity.com he's a former homicide detective and uh he He's also here in Southern California, up in the Los Angeles area, and um, recently wrote a book with Sean McDowell, uh, So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. And uh, Jim, I wanted to ask you uh, specifically, uh, what motivated you to write this book in, in particular? Because you, you've written uh, fantastic books, Cold Case Christianity, God's Crime Scene, Forensic Faith, all these books about um, the evidence for the truth of Christianity. Uh, what made you decide to write a book specifically um, geared towards reaching young people?
2: Well, I, I think part of it um, was our own experience. You know, we both work in the settings where Sean's worked in the high school setting. I was a, a youth pastor for years. Uh, we probably speak to more young audiences than other people uh, doing this kind of work. We, we, A lot of our audiences are uh, Gen Z, you know, the high schoolers, basically. Um, and so I think we, we learned a lot in that process. Also, We're also like you. We're, we're watching the culture and, and noticing that, 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 that the younger you are, the more likely you are to walk away from the church or to stop identifying yourself as a Christian believer. And so we just thought, well, it's time for us to to write. We've written books that we think are are what books, like what is true about Christianity, what is true about God, what is true about this or that, and and this is a book that it turns a corner. It's a how-to book. It's like if you even even though people might be interested in the facts surrounding Christianity, and they may have done a good job of, of preparing themselves with those facts, we still get a lot of people who say, "Yeah, but I'm not quite sure how to reach this generation mm. with those truth claims." Is there stuff about this generation that is unique and makes the the, the project a little more um, either challenging or whatever? And I think that's true. I think there are some things uh, about this generation that um, make uh, make it a little more challenging. And so we wanted a book that was very intensely practical, that would help uh, both parents, uh, um, Christian educators, and youth pastors communicate the, the claims of Christianity to Gen Z, given the unique nature of, really, what's caused Gen Z to be so unique is that they happen to be in an information age in which technology has shaped uh, and change the way we see everything um that glowing rectangle those phones uh, smartphones have and smartphone technology all mobile information age technology it, these are digital natives now these are are people who young people who uh, don't remember a time before there was such technology yeah. and, and if you don't think that that has changed things, um go to a restaurant and wait for your table and see what you what you'll you'll see um, we're all now on our phones waiting for the table yeah, um yeah. I was just watching an advertisement yesterday uh, for uh, an iPad, and it's a brilliant advertising because it starts off with how useful they are in stopping your kids from fighting while you're on the way to Grandpa's house for Christmas <laughs> and then how useful they are of keeping your kids uh, kind of uh, at bay while you're visiting with Grandpa because Grandpa doesn't want to be annoyed, and you can watch videos on the, and then the kids take that, that, that iPad, and they create a gift for Grandpa with the iPad in which he can remember his deceased wife. And I'm watching this advertisement, and I'm thinking to myself, wow. I mean, first of all, we, we are now saying that, that, that to keep your kids quiet and, and uh, at bay with this digital device is actually a good thing. Yeah. And ben, now we're, we're ben, trying to convince ourselves that somehow our kids will use this creatively for good when most of the time it's, it's it probably having. We don't even know. I think at this point, what long-term impact these devices are going to have on relationships, on mental health, on uh, the way we see and communicate with each other. That stuff is still to be determined. Uh, yeah, so and we're I, all,
1: I, we're yeah. already seeing some of the. I mean, I I never before taught uh, classes on specifically like, um, do I play too much video games? I had a, a kid a couple of years ago who, uh, actually last year, who played three days straight of video games. And um, right. my question for you, you know, in, in your research for this book is one of the difficulties I'm finding is that, um, I, I mentioned this last segment, that what seems to be happening is that the students, to a certain degree, are being lulled into almost an apathetic uh, Christianity. I had a student come to me um, last year and say, Mr. Conover, I really want to be a Christian. I really want to follow Jesus, but um, I just can't seem to consistently Walk with him, um, and you know he was he was inferring to things like I'm constantly playing video games, or I'm looking at pornography, or uh, it seems almost like there's this uh, almost addictive draw towards things that are contrary to um, you know a, a steady walk with Christ.
2: Well, there's no doubt about that, and um, so two things are at bay there. Though there's a way, there are ways in which um, the um, uh, the technology actually uh, impedes or harms our our progress or how we see God. And then there are just ways in which um, the, the world seems to be so distracting that young people are just not interested. I, I, that's the one that I think is the most intriguing uh, for us to talk about today, because I that is, and it has been said by some, that the biggest challenge to uh, theism is not atheism, but is apatheism. And that, that is probably true, that the biggest challenge going forward is going to be and I have a, a suggestion. I We talk about this in one chapter in the book. And, you know, when that first came up that we should write this chapter, I was not excited to write it um, for some reason. But I'm so glad we did, though, that we decided to include it, because I think now looking back at it, that it's it might be one of the most important things we could write about, and, and that is what do we do to increase passion? Mm. And and I talk about it this way. Uh, if you'll simply change every conversation you have with a young person From a conversation that's filled with what's and start to provide two whys for every one what you give young people, you will see an increase in passion, I think. And I think you'll see a lot of your conversations change dramatically and noticeably and quickly. Here's what I mean. You might have in the past, and we have a tendency as parents to do this, to, to just give a series of things we want to impart upon our kids a list of what is true, what, 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 what I want you to do, what you ought to do, what the Bible says you ought to do, here's, here's the Bible, uh, what the Bible says about this, here's what the Bible says about that, here's what Jesus said about this. Here, it's what, 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 what. Uh, well, the, the Internet's good for what. There's lots of what's on the Internet, but there's something else that occurs in the Internet that I think we have to start to move toward, and that is the first why. Tell me why that's true. And, and by the way, please don't use your Bible uh, to tell me why you think the Bible is true. I mean, young people are actually saying this. They want to know, is there some good reason for me to, number one, even trust what the Bible is telling me about this? And most of us as Christians growing up in the church, we haven't really thought about that. Like, we've accepted this is true, this is the Word of God. But, but young people want to, I'm not even sure this is the Word of God. Tell me why you think it's the Word of God, number one. Give me the first why. Why should I believe what you think you believe? Why should I think that's true? Give me some evidence to support that. It's not that that's not happening for every other worldview online. Of course it is. Yeah. is. We're in a place where they, 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 if you can't run a scientific test to prove it, most young people are gonna say, I'm not sure it's true then. Yeah. So we need to be able to show our young people why this is true. The second why though is the one I think case towards passion. And that is, okay, so you've made this claim and you've given me some evidence to support why it's true. But why should I care? Hmm. I mean, how does this apply to me? Well, well, look, it turns out that the theological claims we make to our kids do have an impact on how they live their lives. As a matter of fact, I want my kids to see it. I want them to see that the reason why they are the loneliest generation in the history of young people, according to their own self-reporting, yet they're the most connected to their friends on social media than any other. How can these two things be true at the same time? Yeah. It's rooted in theology. It's that you are not just an immaterial being. You are a physical being with a body. And that your relationships need to be both immaterial, in terms like that you can have online, but they also need to be material, in which you are in the physical presence. You could have a thousand connections to people online today, but you will find yourself lonely. Why? Because the unique uh, nature of the Christian worldview says that when you die, you will not just be a disembodied angel, a disembodied spirit. No. You will be reunited to a physical body, a resurrection body. Why? Why is that so important? Because the nature of who you are, as described in Scripture, actually explains why you're feeling the way you are today on Instagram. It explains why you're... There's a why, a second why, on why this should matter to you, because it turns out that Christianity has incredible explanatory power. mm because it happens to describe the world the way it really is.
1: That's awesome.
2: And I just think our young people need to see that. Yeah. And if they do, they're going to be in a much better place to understand why I should care about this to begin with.
1: Absolutely. When we, when we are able to answer um, uh, wh- how this practically impacts my life and we're able to bear that out, all of a sudden everything becomes so much more relevant. And I think, like you said, um, all of a sudden it stirs up that passion uh, for kids to go, oh my goodness, the light bulb just went on. Now I realize why this is happening in my life and uh, it makes so much sense. That's that's, that's right. powerful. Uh, Jim, we're out of time, but uh, thank you so much for being on the program today. Um, that was a really awesome show and I really enjoyed talking with you.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Um, so that's uh, Jay Warner Wallace, Cold Case Christianity. If you're listening today, I really hope you enjoyed the program. Please check out his website, coldcasechristianity.com. He's got fantastic books. I personally am reading the book so so the next generation will know. My whole school, uh, Christian High, where I teach at, all the teachers are going through it and uh, love it. It's got so much good practical advice that you can actually put into practice right away, uh, right there at your school, and begin to impact the lives of these young people uh, for, for the Lord and in a way that's really going to cause them to... Um, connect with Jesus Christ personally and on a real uh, everyday and personal practical level. So uh, can't recommend it more. A fantastic book. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show and we'll be back again next week. We are going to have Greg Kokel on the show soon too. Also another Southern California uh, apologist. Seems like there's a lot of apologists in Southern California, but, um, and we'll be talking more about his new book uh, that he actually just updated The Tactics book, which is an incredible book, and uh, he's added a whole bunch of new content to that, and that's on how to uh, reach your neighbors, friends, relatives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, I look forward to being with you next time. I hope you have a great weekend. God bless you.